Listen, 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 Responsive reading. I will be reading the one part. Emma will be reading the many. Please follow along with the slides that should be up on the screen soon. Listening, then, has a spiritual dimension. It suggests that I am not the center of the cosmos, but rather one source of words among others. It implies that I have no monopoly on, wis on wisdom that is that true wisdom may be found in listening. Listen, listen to what others have to say. There is wisdom in all you meet. Listen to the sounds of nature. It speaks and sings and makes music. For those who pay attention. Listen, listen to the impulses of your spirit. Take time to hear your inner yearnings. That still, small voice drowned in the rashes shout. Listen, this is a noisy world. Perhaps this year we will listen. Now we'll be listening to a piece that was put together by our youth, Andy, Emma, and Arwen. It's Outnumbered by Jermon Kennedy.
Please hold as we sort some things out. Don't tell me this is all for nothing. I can only tell you one thing on the night to feel out See the beauty that you can't see On the night you feel outnumbered Baby, I'll be out there somewhere I could have showed you all the scars at the start But that was always the most difficult part See, I'm in love with how your soul's a mix of chaos and art And now you never try to keep them apart I wrote some words and then I stared at my feet Became a coward when I needed to speak I guess love took on a different kind of meaning for me So when I go just know it kills me to leave To all the stars that light the road Don't ever leave the girl so cold Never let me down, just leave me home Don't, don't tell, tell me this, this is all for nothing Tell you one thing on the night you feel unnumbered. Baby, I'll be out there somewhere. I see everything you can be. I see the beauty that you can see on the night you feel unnumbered. Baby, I'll be out there somewhere. song inside the halls in the dark I'll come for you if you just stay where you are and I'll always hold your hand in the car there'll be days when it's difficult but I ask you never leave behind the reciprocal we're past that love is not designed for the cynical so we have that we can have that week we are inviting children in our congregation to light our chalice and lead our covenant. This week Jack and Jonah Lestica will light our chalice and say our covenant. Please join along at home with our covenant which is in the chat box. Love is the spirit of this church and serves its law, 
This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek truth and love, and to help one another. to welcome any uh, younger folks to come towards the camera for our Wonder Box this morning. Here's our Wonder Box this morning. Um, good morning, as I already said. I'm Arwen Gormley, for those of you who don't know me. Um, so yesterday, I went for a walk in the woods with my mom, and I couldn't help but notice all the beautiful, beautiful foliage on the trees. Um, and I was reminded of one reason I love fall. And another reason I love fall is some of the fun holidays that happen in fall. Um, if you'd like, you can tap, type in the chat box um, some of your favorite fall holidays and I'll read them out. You can, have, you can do it or your older um, family member can type in the chat. C Cider donut holiday, Halloween. Thanksgiving, yep. Halloween, says Susanna. Thanksgiving, Easter, pie baking, Thanksgiving, Halloween, Halloween. Her birthday, your mom's birthday. The day that pumpkin spice lattes come back. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Apple picking. Starbucks cup challenge day, pumpkin picking. My birthday. Happy birthday, Reverend Nathan. Christmas, All Souls Day, good sleeping weather, Campbell's birthday, apple pie. All right, fire pits, yes. All of these are great. My husband's and daughter's birthdays, apple palooza. I love all these responses. Um, some of the holidays that come to my mind are Thanksgiving and Halloween. And Halloween is just around the quarter uh, next week, next Saturday. And one of my favorite aspects of Halloween is that we get to dress up. Um, so that's the first thing we have in our Wonder Box today. Just a little warning, this uh, thing coming out of the Wonder Box may not be so wonderful for all audiences. So um, don't be too scared, I'll take it out. My mom's going to take it out of the wonder box. Okay, <laughs> so we have a mask. 
that I could wear during Halloween. A little, um, yeah. <laughs> so when I put on this mask, I look pretty scary, right? But um, underneath the mask, you know, it's still me. I don't know how much you can hear me, but I'm gonna tell you, um, I'm gonna put it back on and I want you to type in the chat box why you know it's still me underneath the mask. I'm gonna put it back on. Is it something about my voice? Is it my hair, my personality? What about under the mask makes you remember that it's me? Okay, so my eyes, I have the same voice, object permanence. I seem like I'm smiling, my giggles, my hair, my hair, yep, my eyes and my voice. The way I move my body when I speak, yeah. My shirt, yep, it's the same. Lovely, okay. I'm gonna take this off again. Laughter will always be a tell, I love it. So, um, even though you may have a scary mask on when you go trick-or-treating, you still ask trick-or-treat, right? And you'd be pretty disappointed if people were like, hey, you look scary, so you don't get a treat. So it's pretty important um, that we listen to people, even when they have um, a little bit of a scary mask on. Similarly, another thing we have in our white box this morning, I'm gonna take it out. It's one of these masks. There are different kinds of masks we can wear. Um, and this is, you've probably seen it around, a medical mask that a lot of us are wearing for our safety right now. Um, and even though this medical mask can feel kind of like a barrier against connection, um, it's still important that we listen to the people behind the masks. And sometimes people can put on masks when they're sad or they're angry, or they feel like they don't want the world to see how they're feeling inside. Um, and people can misinterpret this as something a little bit scary or something they're put off by. Um, but underneath, we know that these people are still the same people and often they're struggling even more when they put these masks on. Often they actually need to be listened to more, um, even though they, they put up this wall, this barrier against connection, but what they really could use is a listening ear. Um, so like at Halloween, it's important to remember that when they ask trick or treat and you have plenty of treats to offer, that you offer them that treat of listening because sometimes it's the biggest treat you can give. Thank you so much, Arwen. Uh, this month leading up to the election, we are having, um, we are having testimonials each week about what it means to some members of our community to vote love. And this morning's testimonial will be offered by Emma Paul, a member of our youth group. Emma, thank you so much for sharing with us what it means to vote love to you. Thank you, Heather. Um, all right, here we go. 
Hello, my name is Emma Paul. I'm a member of the senior youth group in this Unitarian Universalist Church community. Today, I am here to give a testimonial about what voting love means to me. First of all, voting love requires voting. I have realized how truly powerful voting is, especially because I'm missing the ability to vote in this crucial election by only a few months. This fact makes me feel so small and quite frankly, it frustrates me. However, I use that frustration to motivate me to help the causes and the people I care about in other ways. Just because I can't vote doesn't mean that I can't spread the word of why others should. One's vote is one's voice and thus the power of a vote is great. Each and every one of us is instrumental in this election. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has, Margaret Mead once said. If you are angry with how our leaders have handled this pandemic, if you disagree with the policies that our leaders have enacted, if you are outraged by the childish manner in which our leaders have presented themselves, vote. If you wake up every day scared you'll be deported, if you wake up wondering if you'll still have a job, if you're numb because of all that's happened this year, vote. Vote with love. Vote for yourself and more importantly, vote for others. Vote for those of us who can't, like me. If you yourself don't have a reason to vote, think about the people around you who do and vote for them. Our current president is demolishing all that we stand for and all that we love. You don't need me to tell you that there are a lot of problems that need fixing. Our climate crisis and the fact that our world is dying and it's our fault, discrimination against black people, LGBTQIA plus people, women and anyone who threatens a white male dominated society. But do not despair because there is something that we can all do about it. Our beloved Reverend Heather, our beloved Reverend Nathan Dietering often quotes Frederick Buchanan with the words, here is our world, beautiful and terrible things happen. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And that is how the light gets in. And there truly is something that we can do. And that is to vote. Take all your anger, all your sadness, take all your frustration and use it to motivate yourself to make a positive change. Your voice matters and many people depend on it. The people like me who can't vote depend on it. The well-being of our future generations depends on it. So get out and vote, show your love to the causes and the people that you care about. Thank you. After this time of listening and hearing, particularly from our youth who continue to give us so much hope as Molly has just put into the uh, chat box. Friends, it's been another full week in life and in the world and the news. So just find your center in your center, put down your screens, maybe even close your eyes and just be here in this moment as we enter into this time of meditation and prayer. We'll begin with our prayer hymn. 
This morning, friends, we are privileged to look out into our sanctuary, the three candles there. And in these times of so much going on, it's important, I think, to center our gratitude and thanksgiving as much as we can. So I invite us first to use our chat box as usual and please to list all those things that are prayers that we are feeling grateful for and in thanksgiving for this morning. the fall colors and wedding anniversaries for grandparents who are joining service today, for this amazing group of young people, for my family, for our new puppy, for our beautiful sanctuary that will be there for us and with us when we can return, for Zoom through gloom indeed, for the opportunity to speak and for a welcoming community. And as these continue to come in, I invite us also to hold in our hearts and our prayers, our loved ones, the people that we may be worried for, or just wanna know and have them know that we love them. So please put those in as well, prayers for loved ones. Our senior youth group, for parents joining us today, for India, for my brother, Sue, Will is nine years on earth. For Aunt Marianne, for Lynn and Debbie, for my children. For the Handelman family, lost their husband and dad. For our new dog, Teddy. For my brother with MS. My 99-year-old grandmother's healing from a leg break. She's in the hospital. For Ayana and for the youth. And as we look out into our sanctuary together, you can see on to the right there, the sunlight coming through the windows. This video was taken just this week. We now, hold in our hearts all the prayers for the world. Our heart that is so big with all these prayers, I know. For all the kids separated from their families. For Nigeria, for a peaceful election. For all the people working across the country for a free and fair election for peace and nonviolence during the election season, for our climate, for our world, for all the voters, for the people who recognize that the world is in this together. For those protecting the right to vote safely and for the helpers. And as these continue to come in friends, just please pray with me, remembering that prayer does not change 
things, prayer changes people and people change things. As we look out into our sanctuary, this is the place that we go to to find and feel Sabbath, not from the world, but for the world. So for all the daily pressure of life that is weighing on our minds and hearts and our bodies, we need this morning to find time for Sabbath rest. And because of all the stresses of our culture that often leave us feeling overwhelmed and looking for hope, let us look out here onto the candles and the light and feel a time for Sabbath rest. Because we think more clearly and feel more freely and love more freely when we are rested, we come to this morning and time of Sabbath rest. Giver of life, help us to recognize when we need to stop and care for ourselves. Allow us to sink into this moment as often as we need one. Allow us to rest when we can without guilt so that we can work again tomorrow with more purpose. And let us be held in these several moments of stillness, maybe the first for you in this entire week.
we're reading today is Religion at Its Best by Sarah Gibb Millsbaugh. Religion is as much about faith in humanity as it is about faith in deity. And many of us will find that over and over, our faith in humanity gets tested. We are immersed in a culture that is deeply corrupted by selfishness, greed, and oppression-born privilege and fear. It is all too easy for us to justify the dehumanization, ostracization, suffering, and death of others. It is all too easy for us to devalue some humans' lives and feel, somehow, like we're still good, upstanding, moral people. Religion at its best asks us to do better than this, to rise above the selfishness and status-seeking, the othering and xenophobia that comes so easily to us. Religion at its best and our Unitarian Universalist faith calls us to honor that which is sacred in each person, even though we might hate, even those who we find disgusting. It impels us to accept on faith that there is a sacred spark, a worthy spark in every person. This can sound mundane, but it is very radical, revolutionary even. Each person sacred, each person worthy. Accepting this on faith changes how we live. In this time when so many of us live in fear of a dehumanizing political regime, let us renew our pledge to live out those sacred and humane teachings that draw us toward compassion, love, and justice in ever widening circles of care. Thank you, Nora, for sharing that. That reading actually comes from my former minister when I was a young person and also the person that uh, Reverend Heather worked with as a ministerial intern. So it's close to our hearts. We will now be taking the offering. So this week's recipient will be shared with braver angels. As a young person in America who exists primarily in echo chambers that reverberate my own views, I know how hard it can be to have thoughtful nuanced and compassionate conversations with folks who disagree with me. Recently, as I feel more and more justified in my politics and more isolated from understanding the points of view of others, I've been asking myself, does my moral compass and belief that I am right disallow me from seeing the humanity in others? Can our moral convictions keep us from actually achieving our moral convictions? Braver Angels is a citizens organization uniting red and blue Americans in a working alliance to depolarize America. Braver Angels helps Americans like you and I try to understand the others, other side's point of view, even if we don't agree with each other. Encouraging people to engage with those we disagree with and look for common ground and ways to work together. They support principles that bring people together rather than divide. Braver Angels knows that listening, although a seemingly small act, can be one of the most radical things we can do for one another as human beings. As you all perhaps know by now, we are collecting our offering through Realm. And as you can see on the screen, there's a slide with instructions for how to give. Uh, and the direct link will be in the chat box. Please designate whether you'd like your donation to go toward your pledge or toward our offering recipient. This information is going to be posted again at the end of the service. Thank you as always for your generosity. And now Mike will play another piece of music by our youth. I can't 
I went to row camp for two weeks. Many of you know row. I know some of you have gone. It's a seriously awesome place. Row taught me about spirituality, friendship, family, activism, and so much else. I really learned what it meant to be a Unitarian Universalist. One evening while there, we were doing a mock protest where we made signs and came up with chants to march with. At the end of the road, we stopped and people started to call a response where one person would call something out and the rest of us would shout it back. When it came to me my turn, I called out, Donald Trump is human too. The response I got from that was not the enthusiastic, Donald Trump is human too, that I was expecting from this group of UUs. Instead, I was greeted with, Donald Trump is human too? I mean, I was really confused. Yes, we all didn't like Trump, but just because we don't like someone doesn't mean that they aren't human, right? On the way back up to the cabins, I was thinking a lot about what happened. 
I'd paid attention to enough RE to know about the seven principles of Unitarian Universalism. And wasn't the first one about affirming each person's inherent worth and dignity? Didn't that apply to everyone? Even those who we fundamentally disagree with and find it really hard to listen to? I think it does. Now, I'm not trying to change your mind about Trump or even talk about him for that matter. But as Unitarian Universalists, we believe in the inherent worth and dignity of every person. This does not mean you have to become best friends with your worst enemy, but it does mean that we have a commitment to try our best to honor people's humanity, regardless of how we feel about them, and give ourselves permission to listen when we can. This can be really hard to do. This is why there are organizations like Braver Angels, as you heard India talk about during the offertory. Braver Angels is a nonprofit that facilitates respectful conversation between people who come from different backgrounds and have different ways of thinking. They host workshops, trainings, and other discussions online and in person when there isn't a global pandemic. The other night, I went to a panel of theirs where people were just chiming in to ask questions, and they were answered by both a Democrat and a Republican. And they had sometimes conflicting statements, but they were no, there was no malice in them. These people really listened to and respected one another. This was absolutely beautiful to watch. It reminded me of my desire to be able to have genuine conversation with people who have opposing views from me. And those who are not like me. Like I don't wanna be stuck in the mindset of hating and dehumanizing the other. Talking politics is a hard place to start the humanizing process. Talking about common interests and experiences, however, that's a really good way to get to know someone as a person and as a part of the interconnected web of life that ties us all together. I'm not saying that we have to listen to everything that everyone says, far from it. When someone has heard us, we have no responsibility to look past it and love them blindly. However, we do have a commitment as Unitarian Universalists to recognize their inherent worth and dignity and their deservingness of love and someone to listen to, even if that someone isn't us. My brother, uh, he likes to play his fife and recorder really, really loudly. And it hurts my ears and sometimes I just want to yell at him. And then I remember that he is still human. He's still my brother. Of course, this does not mean I want to listen to him play. I recognize that there are some people who actively enjoy his loud mouth music and he deserves that audience. But that audience is not me. <laughs> of course, sometimes I do end up yelling at him because his music is so loud and our house is just not big enough to escape it. But then I do end up apologizing because every person has an inherent worth and dignity. And it is my commitment as a UU to recognize that. So in situations like these with my brother, it's fairly easy to remember his humanity because I know him and it's only a recorder. I've heard some people say that listening to people who don't believe in our values mean that we are compromising our integrity and wasting our time. I do not believe this to be true. If anything, I would say it's the opposite. If we value love and acceptance, then listening to people and practicing loving and accepting them is actively strengthening our values because we are putting them into action and working on becoming the people that we say we want to be. My boss and I, we have different political views and let's just say we don't see eye to eye on most issues. 
However, this did not stop her from consistently and enthusiastically supporting me through my years of gender exploration. In turn, our differing beliefs have not stopped me from being kind and open with her because at the end of the day, we both really love what we do and work well together, regardless of our politics. Friends, we are Unitarian Universalists. We see the interconnected web of life of which we are all a part, and we must remember to treat every person as they are, flawed, human, and above all, worthy of love and deserving of a listening ear. Regardless of who people are and what they do, they're still human and are still deserving of the same love and respect as we are. So how do we practice seeing the humanity in people? In situations like the one with my brother's music, it's fairly easy to remember his humanity. But in other cases, we aren't ready, willing, or equipped to see the love. For example, it's even hard, it's hard to even theoretically realize that the guy who cut you off when you were driving the other day is actually human. It is so easy to write him off with, nah, that stupid evil person, doesn't he know that I have places to be and, and have done with it, you know? But I'm gonna encourage you to look past that. Might he have been in just as much of a rush as you and been muttering an apology as he drove away? Can you imagine him at home joking around his dinner table with his family and share in that common feeling of laughter? It is so easy to dehumanize that driver and forget that we are not the only people on the road and in the world with lives and destinations. But to look past that guy's bad road etiquette and acknowledge his humanity is much more true to our values as you use. It's easy to say this in the context of a driver that made no significant impact on your life. It's much harder to do when it's in a context that is very personal and sensitive for you. I know that I certainly have trouble humanizing in these situations. It often takes me years to get to a place where I can acknowledge the people who have hurt me and that they're just as deserving of love as I am. I know all of you have these people in your lives too. Who have the people you can recognize as human and sometimes even forgive easily like my brother or that driver. And you have people that have taken you years to acknowledge and you like me have people you're still trying to find the humanity in. Wherever you are in this process, you are okay. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. So it may be hard to see people for who they are, but that is no reason for us to stop trying. Whether it takes a minute, a day, a month, or many, many years, because each person has an inherent worth and dignity and is just as deserving of love and listening as you and I are. It is not our personal responsibility to love and engage with everyone in the world. But one of our guiding principles as Unitarian Universalists is to see the love inside of everyone. We do not need to listen to everybody's record or music, but it is always good to recognize that someone else want, might want to. Friends, I ask each of you to go forth this week and look for someone you can practice seeing the human in whether it is someone you live with, a stranger on the street, or maybe even someone it's harder for you to see the humanity in, remember that they deserve love. Thanks, Ray. That was great. Uh, it's time for our second hymn. It's Come and Go With Me. We'll have the 
uh, lyrics in the chat box for everyone. Please sing along. to say the call to ministry with me. Um, you might find the words in the chat box to the right. We go forth into the world in peace to act with works of love, to affirm each person's dignity and to cherish the living earth. So why do we always choose to hate something that we don't understand? And why do we resort to fighting with what we don't agree with? And of course, this is a benediction, so I don't really find it fit to delve into a deep question that's incredibly difficult to answer. But instead, I can offer this thought. Um, this hate and lack of understanding ultimately stems from fear. And the way to combat this fear is to be curious and to listen. And this act of listening is curiosity as well as respect in action. And by listening, we remember the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Sure, you don't necessarily need to agree with the person to whom you argue with. Conflicts have always and always will create divisions. And while you are not forced to agree with the other person, that doesn't mean they do not deserve listening. Listen when you can, if you can, to yourself, to others, to those who agree with, to those who you do, who you do not, and to make sure that you acknowledge the humanity and worth and dignity of those you, of those whom you conflict with.
Thank you, Ben, for that. And thank you, Ray, so much for our sermon today. So friends, I invite you all to stay for our virtual coffee hour after, of course, you stay for our postlude, which is a fun little ditty that we all created together. Um, we'll be splitting you up into breakout groups after the postlude. So if you'd like to stay for an informal 20 minutes of conversation with about eight other people, please stay through the end of the postlude and we hope you join us there. And now our postlude. We'll now be splitting you all up into breakout rooms for coffee hour. Please stay if you are able. Okay, that was awesome. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> what else were you going to do with that awful recording? <laughs> <laughs> right oh my goodness especially nathan didn't even follow the directions not remotely not remotely he's not the only one though so but it just added to the the chaos which was the appropriate feeling i think added to the beauty of it that was amazing that was amazing hi magda Hi, I'm Dara. Nice to meet you. Hi, I'm Mike's girlfriend, but I think everybody knows that, right? I'm Maya. Oh. <laughs> you know what? I knew your name, but had never had a face to put. So yeah. it's well, lovely to see you. So yeah, so Alex um, invited me to come see you Sunday, so I did. So oh, here I am. And so the really funny thing is, um, like Mike and I go for a walk every morning from our respective houses and just talk on the phone the whole time and like recorders came up and how everyone hates them and how like I did not hate them when my kids went through the recorder phase I thought it was really funny I just think they should come pre-programmed with hot cross buns and oh <laughs> <laughs> this was just hilarious yeah yeah super funny I can see how constant recorder playing might get a little grating I can see um well, you know, in my Facebook memories yesterday, um, my older son, who's now a college freshman, went from recorder in fourth grade to saxophone in fifth grade. And apparently yesterday, however many years ago, he walked in and said, prepared to be honked into oblivion, and then just started in with the clarinet. <laughs> <laughs> I started on the saxophone. My parents weren't like super excited about it. <laughs> that was my Campbell wanted to play saxophone in the worst way, but he was too small. So I oh. took him to a music store to prove, cause like he wouldn't let it go. So we went to a music store to try one. 
and his fingers were not big enough to get to all the keys and do the thumb underneath. Um, but he hung on to it like three, four years later, down we went and got him a saxophone. And can I tell you, it's now in the attic because that lasted like two years till he found bass guitar. And then it's like, nah, sax doesn't, doesn't, doesn't measure up to bass guitar. Interesting. It has its place. <laughs> I love the sax and I think, and I hope he'll go back to it, but you know. But I don't know. Maybe he'll have a lasted long too. <laughs> maybe they'll have midlife crises and go back to these instruments. Like one of my friends who had played clarinet forever and hadn't picked it up in years and years and years. She turned like forty nine, I guess, and was like, "I'm doing it." And she joined her local community band. And Jeez. yeah, and you know they've been shut down obviously because of this, but they had a clarinet section socially distanced performance in someone's backyard a couple of weeks ago because they were so upset that they couldn't play in this community band and you are I finally I I took piano lessons as a kid my mom came from an extremely musical family everyone sang and played instruments and I had to take piano as a little girl and where the piano was situated in our house I looked out on all the neighborhood kids out playing kick the can and various games and I was like, I hate piano. I don't want to, I don't want to play. So I quit. But then when my kids, I kept going uptown to the same uh, strike up the band, little local music lesson shop. And I'd be sitting there for a half an hour, twice a week, bored out of my mind. And finally I was like, I could take piano lessons again. Cause I regret not doing it. So I took piano for like three years before life got too busy to do it. But I loved it. I think it's, Fabulous to do that. Awesome. Pick up the instrument later, yeah. That's awesome. That's really great. That was great. And what I loved was I'd be practicing and my kids would come down and be like, can you move on to the next song now, mom? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, revenge. <laughs> right, man fights dog. <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah. I ended up giving my saxophone away. I was friends with a family whose kids were just starting instruments and the only instrument they, that family owned was a flute. And the little boy was just like, I do not want to play a flute. And they didn't have money to rent or buy another instrument. And I was like, you know what? I have sitting at home the saxophone that I haven't touched since I was like 12 years old. So yeah, be happy to see it like move on. When my dad died, we, my older son, Jackson, inherited his accordion. <gasps> like, oh, wow. Like the 50 pound it's, it's wow. massive. like he couldn't he could into a new room oh uh, well, i'm a little sad i'm glad, glad to see y'all but i'm a little sad because i was having such a good conversation with sarah and Monica. <laughs> well now they're here oh my gosh <laughs> now you can keep it going here, sarah yay <laughs> hey so um yeah. india this is the girlfriend i was telling you about <laughs> 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 nice to meet you, actually. <laughs> so I got to know Joan, whom I've never met. Hi, Hi, Dara. I just started coming to the church on Labor Day Sunday, so I'm pretty. Busy. Oh, cool! Oh, Welcome, Joan. And I just, I just, of course, think that India is doing wonderful things with all of her tech. And Sarah, your music is phenomenal, and Dara's getting sent me is going to get no she has started me on a link towards realm so i'm getting there 
That's great. Amazing. And the Newcomer Covenant group. You're doing that too. That's right. That's tonight. I'm looking forward to that. So I, I don't know Mike. I don't know Magda, but I know the other ones. <laughs> Joan, how did you get connected to the church? Through, um, well, I'm a born and bred UU. And I grew up in Melrose. And then I went to, I sang in the choir in the Wellesley Church and the Wayland Church. And then I lapsed, as I was telling Peggy. It got to be too much. I was working three jobs and putting two kids through college. And it was too much on Sundays. And then okay. um, I'm in the same neighborhood with uh, Don and Kirsten and Kathy. And um, we talk all the time when we walk with the dog. And uh, here I am. No, you're friends with Kathy Cofflestone. She is one of my beloved people. I adore well, her. She's wonderful. She's just wonderful. So yeah. I, I just, I, I love the fact that the church has people from all the neighboring towns. I think that's what fits for me. When I was at the other church, it was so um, localized to that town, I felt like an outsider. Mm. And uh, our, um, our pianist lives in Melrose. Oh, no kidding. And I, I'm in Malden. <laughs> and I'm in Somerville. And Joan, I also work with the youth at Wayland. Oh, and they're such nice people. <laughs> and she, the minister there was our intern. Three interns? A very, a very, very interconnected UU world over here. <laughs> it's Definitely. wonderful. It's wonderful. I think it's Malden, Melrose, Somerville. Okay, Mike, where are you? I'm in Natick. Oh, hi, Mike, in Natick. Yeah, and hey, Peggy, where are you? Sherburn. Oh, okay. Magda, where are you? Uh, Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow, you are committed. <laughs> what's, hey, what's Detroit like these days? Um, it's about like 45 and rainy today. I don't yeah. know. No, I mean, um, <laughs> you're asking the political climate. I mean, I in know. general. Um, <laughs> No, no, just like the environment, like the environment. So, okay, so we're having problems with the police. We're having some problems with um, some political issues that are on the ballot for the election. Like we're basically the mayor is just trying to like suck money out of the neighborhoods to give to his cronies to eradicate blight. So that's actually a really big deal right now. Um, Police brutality, yeah, that's pretty much it. We got hit really, 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 really hard at the beginning of the pandemic. Like we had an astronomically high death rate in March and April, but it's leveled off here. And our death rate relative to number of cases is really low compared to the rest of the state and the other states. And like everybody's talking and we, everybody seemed to have had coronavirus in um, November through January here without knowing what it was because nobody knew what it was, but everybody seems to have had it. So everybody's just walking around with masks on kind of waiting for the rest of the state to shape up so that we can open up again. I don't know. It feels very um, like community focused in a way that we haven't been in years, which is kind of nice, but also kind of sad that it took this. You, yeah. You'd sort of hope that Phoenix would, uh, Phoenix, I mean, Detroit would be like the Phoenix rising from the ashes, that there'd be a lot of opportunity there. 
yeah, in I terms mean, I, of housing and creating well, a different kind of urban environment, maybe. I think, I think there is, and I think the issue is everybody's on hold to the mm -hmm. election, you know? I mean, yeah. we are, our local election was primary because like Detroit proper is like 98 or 99% Democrat. So, I mean, the primary was our actual election. Um, and even like the near suburbs are still like 90% Democratic. So we're all just kind of holding on to see what happens with the rest of the country before we can do anything. Yeah. Um, what part of Detroit are you in, Magda? Um, Northwest Detroit. I don't know if you know Detroit, but I'm just like living. My whole family's my whole family's from suburban Detroit. Oh, okay. So I'm in Livernois and Seven Mile. So very yeah. awesome. My husband's from Tecumseh over the river in Canada. Oh, okay. Yeah, next door okay. to Windsor. It's a suburb of Okay. Windsor. Yeah, I have a friend in Tecumseh. I have Oh, I've been in her pool many times in Tecumseh. So yeah. The border's still closed though, right? The bridge and yeah. tunnel are, yeah, yeah. My son's supposed to be in Guelph right now for university, but oh. the border's closed, one, okay. and they're doing everything online anyway, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So my husband's cousin, um, who's my age, is a border control person for Canada, right? Oh. She's this cute little quirky woman and she would like, she would put the truck drivers coming through with their cargo through the ringer. She'd act like, you know, this really stern and pissed off border control. What do you got in your truck? I'm gonna need you to get out, sir. I'm gonna, you know, and she would like put them through the ringer and then she'd be like, I'm just kidding, go on, go on. <laughs> Oh, like, cruel, cruel. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. 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 The thing is, you don't like make jokes back, do you? No. <laughs> At least the Canadians didn't used to carry guns, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. And Daryl and I got pulled over many times coming back into the country because we used to drive a little Honda Civic with Grateful Dead stickers all over it. And we oh, got pulled heavens. over constantly, constantly. Yeah. Step out of the vehicle. And they'd search us. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> One time I was crossing and I got, um, I don't know, there was just a misunderstanding. I was going to speak at a conference in Toronto and they thought I needed a work permit. So I got stuck in the, you know, like the netherworld inside there where they had to talk to me and they are not very fast there. I mean, something to be said for American style capitalism is they get you through, right? And the Canadians just don't so much. And when I came in, they were starting to search somebody's car in the parking lot. And when I came out, they had torn apart the entire car and they had about 30 boxes of breakfast cereal that they had pulled out of the car. That was the contraband that the person had been hiding. Is that not allowed? <laughs> Certain brands, right? Like they were supposed to declare it or something, but I guess, I don't know what it was. Like, I can't think of a breakfast cereal that would be worth <laughs> smuggling across the border to me, like maybe blueberry. I, I feel know, like right? I feel like my 12-year-old mind is like, what should I sneak as a contraband across the border? And it's breakfast cereal, but that, you know. I mean, I guess, yeah, like, but like I'm thinking about the stuff that they always ask me about. And whenever I go over to Canada, it's either to go to a conference or to go to a party. And so it's like, I've got a bottle of tequila because in Windsor, apparently it's hard to get tequila. It's cheaper in Detroit. So I'm always requested, bring a bottle of tequila, right? 
all and they ask the same thing in Canada. <laughs> they have it. And they always ask you some question that's like, is this for personal use or is this for something else? And literally every time I have to say, what's the answer you want me to give you here? <laughs> because I don't know. Like, what's the answer? We're going to drink it all in the next three hours. Is that okay? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the breakfast cereal, I was like, wow, these people are hardcore. And while I was in that holding pen, before they got to me, there was a guy who had been stopped at the border because he had a marionette or like a... Um, Puppet? Like a, a puppet, yeah, the like ventriloquist <laughs> puppet, right? He was oh. a ventriloquist. And he had, if you had a puppet and you were a ventriloquist, you would put it in your trunk while you were crossing an international border, but this guy had not. He had had it on his lap, and when the border agent asked him what he was going over to do, he had the puppet talk to the border <laughs> agent. Oh, no. Not a good idea. <laughs> nope. Nope. And so the border agent had pulled him off and like the puppet started trying to go back and forth with me and get me to talk to him. It was very weird. (laughs) But eventually I got to move on and I didn't need a work permit and I got to go to my (laughs) conference. It was all okay. God. It sounds as though you've got a book in the making, life in the, life in the Netherland at the borderland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, can Americans uh, cross into Canada now? Or no. Do- Close, they can't go in either direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what's new with everyone else? I like the beard, Mike. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's new. That's um, new. I've got this new girlfriend who lives in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> Her name's Magda. How's that working out for you, Mike? It's going great. <laughs> we we uh, talk at least a couple times every day, mornings and evenings, and um, you know it's long distance, but we are connected pretty uh, strongly by the uh, telephone wires or, you know, airwaves. <laughs> How did you meet Detroit to uh, Natick? Um, we were, um, we were acquaintances back in college. And I had a crush on him in 1990 and he had no idea who I was. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then yeah, we sort of connected via social media a few years ago. And then, you know, during my separation, I was looking for, you know, just like people who might be, um, you know, like valuable contacts, people that I might talk to um, just, you know, to be support and whatever. And I knew that Magda had gotten divorced 12 years ago and had blogged with her outgoing husband at the time about the experience and um so i thought she might be someone who could be a valuable resource regarding divorce and it turns out like we just like hit it off immediately and of course you know she had this secret crush on me for 30 years so (laughs) well that helped yeah (laughs) so when do you get to see one another physically um next sunday he's coming here for a week and then before thanksgiving i'm coming out you guys for a week 
and then he's coming back here for a week in December, and that's as far as we have our ticket spot so far. But yeah. Yeah. So oh, we've that's been. Good. We've so been dating flying? since July okay and only have seen each other for two weeks. <laughs> um, yeah, so I flew, well, so when we first started this up, I was not comfortable getting on a plane at all. So we figured out that Buffalo was the midpoint between us and that we could both drive. So we spent a week um, together in Buffalo to see if we actually liked each other. And it turns out that we did really like each other a lot. Um, and Buffalo, like who thought, right? Um but then I, <laughs> it was romantic, but um, yeah, so then I decided I would just get on a plane and see how it went. And it was really, really, really nice. There was nobody at the airport in Detroit, nobody at Logan. Um, the flight was maybe a third full. Everybody was doing their best Howard Hughes germ paranoia act with masks up and people were wearing gloves and like nobody wanted to be near anyone at all. So it was kind of, I felt very good about the flying experience. So I don't know, we'll see if it goes okay for you. Yeah. What airline, Magda? Um, I was on JetBlue, but you're what, you're on Delta next? Yeah, I'm on Delta. Yeah. Uh oh, friends, I think it's about to close the breakout room. Uh. <laughs> okay, well, good to see everyone. Nice to meet you, Joan and Thank Magda. You. Nice, nice to, to meet you. Hey, everybody. Nice to meet you.